uh, it's good to be back in God's house today. Uh, you know, as we think about back to school and we prayed over our students and we dismissed them, um, one, one of the passages that comes to mind for me is one that actually we've been studying and I wanted to revisit, uh, which is in Romans chapter 12. And it's a, a great uh, reminder for us as we get ready for the year ahead. Because uh, we have many who are here who are parents who have children that have either gone back or are going back to school. If you are a parent and you have a kid who is in school, let me see you raise your hand right now just so that you can look around and see that we have, we have a, uh, a sanctuary that's filled with those who are raising up this generation of our kids. Okay, And I want to just share some things because I want to challenge us. Is that Okay. I think we can get into a moment like this where we're thinking about going back to school and it could be really easy for us to kind of like demonize the outside and to say, oh, can you believe what they're teaching our kids in school? Can you believe what they're putting in our textbooks? Can you believe what they, they said that they, we can't do this on campus anymore because of separation in church and state? And we can't do that. And we spend hours as the people of faith reflecting on school and more often than not, we're judging what other people are doing. And my question for me and you, I'm saying us because it's not just for you, it's for me too, because I'm a parent of, a, of kids in a public school system here in Southern California too. And so this is a challenge for all of us, me included. Um, but my challenge is this, do I spend as much time reflecting on what I'm teaching my kids as I do complaining about what others are? Let me say it one more time. Because some of you are like, Pastor Koba, I didn't want you to talk about that. We just wanted to throw grenades at what other people are doing. It makes me feel better, right? How dare they? I can't believe they. But what about me? What am I doing? Okay? And the reason why it's important to reflect on what I'm doing, what we're doing about it, is because... Right? We could complain all we want about what the world's doing and what the school districts are doing and, and what various states uh, are, are saying is okay and not okay to teach in a classroom setting. But if I don't turn the attention onto how I'm raising my own kids and preparing them for various ideas and worldviews that they are experience, experiencing and will continue to experience, Right? And all I do is complain about what somebody else is talking about, then I have not done my job to prepare them for ideas and lifestyles that are incompatible with the Word of God. Right? And when I went off to college for the first time, all of a sudden, I was on the other side of a country. I didn't, I didn't have the luxury of coming to Mission Ebenezer. I don't even think we had a live stream or Facebook or any kind of option back in those days. And so there I was, completely disconnected from my family and from my church, trying to figure out how to put into practice all that I've been taught in this church now as an 18-year-old living on the other side of the country. And as I share that, I, I simply bring that up to say, how are we preparing our kids to enter into spaces where they will learn things that are inconsistent with God's word, as opposed to spending our time judging everybody else for what it is that they are exposing our kids to? Don't get me wrong. You know, it's, it's okay. We have every right to. Right? We're tax-paying citizens that are contributing to these, or, or you're paying for a private school. And so you have every right to speak in and to influence the curriculum. Right, You do. I'm not saying you don't. And you should. But do we spend as much time reflecting on the ways in which we are preparing our kids to enter into the world that they live in right now? 
right? Some people have this approach when they think about this conversation and their, their, their approach is, I am going to shelter my kids and keep them away from all the bad ideas so that they're not influenced by worldly things and, and I'm gonna keep them protected in this nice little Christian cocoon and let me share something with you that will only last for a certain period of time because when they finally hit the real world, they're not gonna know what to do. Because they've been sheltered and protected and cocooned from all these different things, they will not know how it is to live for Jesus in a world that largely doesn't. Amen? So, when I'm at home and my son comes back and he's 10 years old and he's going into fifth grade and he says, hey, Dad, they were talking about this, this, and that on the playground, okay? So, so what do we do? I got a few options as dad slash pastor slash you, you, whatever else I am. I got, I got a few options, right? My options are, oh, I can't believe they're talking about that on the playground. I'm going to send 17 emails. District superintendent principal, assistant principal, assistant principal's mom, right? Now I'm going to complain. I'm going to say, how do, you, how do you allow kids to talk about this stuff on the playground? Or I sit down and say, what do you think about it, son? Oh, well, when they said that, I think this. Okay. Yeah. Why do you think that? Okay. Well, what did you do about it? Well, I did this. What would you do about it again if that happened? Oh, maybe I might do it this way. How do you apply what you're learning in Royal Rangers to that conversation that we just had right now? Oh, well, it, it reminds me of this, this thing that we had talked about, right? Okay, great. So he's learning now how to be in a space where he can be exposed to things that his alert can start going off and say, uh-oh, this isn't of Jesus. And then in that, he can figure out what do I do in that moment? See, I'd rather prepare my kids for that than doing everything I can to say, come over here, come over here, here, close your ears, close your eyes, right? Pretend that all this stuff doesn't exist and it's gonna help you be a better Christian. So I, I share all of this simply to say, I wanna challenge us to take as much time reflecting on our proactive internal approach as we do on our reactive external complaint. Can I say that one more time? I want to challenge us as the body of Christ, as parents, to focus as much time, if not more, on our proactive, meaning we're getting ahead of the game, not just defending or getting reactive. Does that make sense? Focus on that internally in our own home structures, right, as opposed to spending more time focused on what everybody else is saying and doing that we're nervous about. Does that make sense? A quick little example, and then we'll get into Romans chapter 12. I think of David and Goliath. David and Goliath. Somebody say David and Goliath. See, there were two approaches to trying to beat Goliath. You had everybody else, David's brothers included, his older brothers, right? That uh, they were so focused on Goliath's strengths. He's big, he's strong, he stinks, right? He's, he's got a loud voice. He's a great warrior, right? They, they were focused so much on Goliath. And as a result, the Israelites stayed away from Goliath. He came out every day and he challenged them. If anybody wants to come and fight me, right? Hand-to-hand -hand combat. 
And if you win, then the Philistines will leave and the Israelites win. All you have to do is beat one person and the Israelites would no longer be oppressed. But nobody was brave enough to face Goliath. Why? Because they were afraid of him because they were focused on Goliath. And here comes David, not a warrior, not a soldier. He didn't go to boot camp, right? In fact, they tried to give him um, gear, and he tried on the boots, and the boots were too big. And they tried to give him a helmet, and the helmet was all wobbling, covering his eyes. They tried to put a, a, a chest, you know, shield on him, and it was like weighing him down. He couldn't even lift up his arms. So David was like, man, I, can't, I don't know what to do with this stuff. I'm a shepherd. I, I got a staff that I keep with me. If anything comes my way, I can fend it off, right? And over time, I've gotten really good at slinging rocks. It reminds me of Royal Ranger Camp two weeks ago, right? There's all these little pebbles everywhere, and all these little boys want to pick them up. And what do they want to do once they pick up a little rock? Right, Noah? They're throwing them everywhere. We got to tell them, okay, that's fine, man. That's cool. But just throw it that way, okay? Everybody else is over there. Don't throw it that way. Face that way, right? It's natural. They want to get out there and start throwing rocks. So David was really good at that. He's just a little kid, a little boy, right? He's got a stick and rocks. That's what our boys had two weeks ago. They keep finding, finding sticks, carrying them around, and rocks. That's what David had in his hands. And David, in that moment, didn't focus on Goliath. David was like, I'm going to focus on two things. One, it's on my God. Because there have been moments where I thought I was going to die, and the Lord gave me the ability to kill a lion and a bear. So if I've killed a lion and a bear, I'm not afraid of no man. Right? Right? So he was focused on God, and then he was focused on the fact that he knows how to throw a rock pretty good. So the other folks were focusing on Goliath, and David was focusing on his approach. Does that make sense? And all it took was one stone. He had five of them. He had four extra, right? Because it took that first one. And there went Goliath. So as I think about where we are going into this year, we could either focus on Goliath and talk trash about how uh, big and strong and scary Goliath is, or we could say, Lord, you're bigger than any Goliath, and you've equipped me with smooth stones, the word of God, prayer, discipleship, conversation, mentorship. So are we going to be focused on the external, or are we going to be focused on the internal. My encouragement to us as we prepare for the year ahead is let's spend a little bit more time focusing on what we're doing about it, not about what everybody else is doing. Somebody say amen. amen. Even if you, want, you don't want to, somebody say amen. amen. All right. So Romans chapter 12, if you have it, say, I got it. Go ahead and get there. You can open it up on your device. You can open it up on your Bible. You could probably even check it out on the screen if we may have it up there, Romans chapter 12. And we'll spend a little bit of time looking at the first two verses as it pertains to preparation for back to school. So it says here, Romans 12 verse 1, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy... To offer your bodies 
as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Verse 2 says, do not conform. Somebody say, do not conform. Any longer to the pattern of this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. Uh, your word says that it, sharp, it, it, it cuts uh, sharper than any double-edged sword. And so today, as we open up ourselves to the teaching of your word, would you equip us with knowledge, with wisdom, and with action to live for you and to raise up our children in ways that honor you. So Lord, we pray today, according to this passage, that you teach us to not be conformed to worldly patterns, but instead to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We realize we can't do this on our own, so we invite you to come and guide us through what this means. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Okay, so if you, we've been actually going through the book of Romans, so this is kind of not new, but we're backtracking a bit because we've already gotten through verses 1 and 2. But I want to revisit it because I do believe it has a lot to do with today's back-to-school jam celebration. So first and foremost, just to kind of get caught up, I know that we have a few folks who are joining us for the first time. We may have some who are joining us online as well. Uh, but to get caught up, to, to kind of remind us of what's taking place in chapter 12 of of Paul's letter to the church in Rome is that he's starting to shift gears from the first 11 chapters talking about the gospel, really explaining what the gospel is all about. What does it mean? Um, and then going into chapter 12, the, the conversation shifts to, so then how do we live our lives as a result of the truth of the gospel? Okay, so chapters 1 through 11 is this is the truth. Chapters 12 and forward is this is how we live our lives according to what the truth is. Make sense, everybody? So then he says here, therefore, and therefore is always connecting, you know, I've, I've been talking about something, building an argument, therefore, I'm going to continue that argument and build on it. So he's building on the prior argument by essentially saying, I urge you, somebody say urge, urge, just like uh, we think of other synonyms like plead with you, I'm begging you, I am, I am asking you, right, but with very passionately. Paul is essentially saying here, this is a big deal. And he says, I want to I invite you to do something. Church in Rome, made up of Jews and Gentiles, slave and free, right? Roman citizens and non-citizens, rich and poor, all of you who are there, right? It's, it's in, in a lot of ways, even though it was much smaller, uh, the, the church in Rome probably feels a lot like the church in Carson. And what he's saying here is, I urge you, I'm begging of you, I'm pleading with you, this is a really big deal. I'm inviting you to do something very significant. And what that thing is, is to offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. 
This is one of those areas where the NIV gets it a little bit wrong because when I read it to you earlier, it said living sacrifices. But if you look in the original Greek text, it's actually a singular form. It's a living sacrifice. So there's something special and beautiful about this invitation that Paul's giving to this whole church made up of all different kinds of people, but he's asking them to come together as one living sacrifice. There's something special about that, that we recognize that even though we come from all kinds of backgrounds, we're one body. We're one people, right? And so he's already kind of uh, uh, reinforcing in them a community idea that God never called us to live our own individual Christian lives out there floating around doing our own thing. God has called us into community. He reinforces that by saying, wherever two or three are gathered, there I am in your midst. In other words, Jesus says, nobody was meant to live life alone. Right? Right? That's why church is a special thing because we have brothers and sisters in Christ that we can encourage. There's a time when I need to be encouraged and I'm thankful that I have those who encourage me. There's a time when I need to go and encourage somebody who might be going through something. Why we recognize going through the pandemic that that created, and I'm not just talking about the church, but even societally, huge elevated amounts of mental health challenges due to the isolation that so many people experienced. My neighbor to my left, 93 years old, lived by herself. So all of a sudden, right, she had no community. So our kids went, wrote letters, and dropped them off in her mailbox, right? Rang the doorbell and said, hey, we're here if you need anything, right? She wrote letters back to us, and, uh, and it was a special moment. But, but God calls us to live in community. So that's why it's, it's important here as Paul's talking to the church. He says, offer yourselves, plural, as one singular living sacrifice. So let's talk about a living sacrifice for a second. What, what, what does that mean? What, what is a living sacrifice, and what, how might that apply to today's focus on back to school? Uh, the, the way that I, I want to uh, help us understand that, that we are called to live sacrificially, is recognizing the fact that we live in a world, the influences that we were talking about just a moment ago as we were praying for our kids, we live in such a world that, uh, that is actually kind of the opposite of a sacrifice, in fact, uh, there, there's a phrase that some of you heard, and, and it's starting to fade, so that's how old it is. So if you're like, man, I never heard about that, and now they don't even use it anymore, sorry. I have a hard time keeping up too. But it's a phrase called YOLO. Has anybody ever heard the word YOLO before? YOLO? And it's not the thing that you throw down on the ground and it spins and you bring it back up. That's a yo-yo, okay? But, a, but YOLO is an acronym for you only live once. And it's kind of a big... Um, you know, uh, zeitgeist kind of a phrase because what it's saying here is, hey, life is short, do whatever you want. Right, and that's kind of like the gospel of, of this current age. The gospel of this current age is, I'm gonna, I'm gonna squeeze three philosophies into one to make a mega philosophy, which is a worldview that's antithetical to the gospel. Are you guys ready for that? Okay, are you ready? Okay, some of you are note takers, so I want to make sure I don't go through it too quickly so that you're like, what'd you say, man? Okay, three philosophies smushed into one. The first philosophy is moral relativism. 
Moral relativism. Everybody say that. Moral relativism. It's hard to say fast, right? So here's what moral relativism is. Moral relativism essentially is this idea, and you all know it, right? You might not necessarily know what it's called in a philosophical or ideological sense, but you experience it because it's all over our culture today, on social media, in TV, on move, in movies, in our music, right? And moral relativism is this idea that anybody uh, can determine what is right for them. There are no absolute right, uh, right or wrong, and whatever's right for me is right for me, and whatever's right for you is right for you. Live and let live, and don't interrupt anybody if they've chosen that, because their right might be right for them, and your right might be right for you, so therefore let everybody have their own version of what is right. That's called moral relativism. Okay? And, and raise your hand if you've experienced or if you've seen the impact of moral relativism on culture surrounding you. Raise your hand, right? All right? Don't get in my business, man. Keep your thoughts to yourself. Who made you the king and ruler of our, of our life and what is right or wrong? Mind your own business. I, let me do me and you do you. These are all kind of reflections of this notion that everybody's their own God and king. Because that's the ultimate uh, expression of moral relativism is, I don't want to be subject to anything else that's not my own understanding of what I think is right and wrong. Therefore, I'm my own God. Does that make sense? Right? Think about it. It's, a, it's the reason why Micaiah has a, a fit at nine o'clock at night when he wants to have um, five tablespoons of Nutella right before bedtime. And daddy says, you crazy. Brush your teeth and go to bed. And now he's all mad. Man, you don't know what's right for me. Five scoops of Nutella is right for me, dad. You're trying to keep me away from what's good in life. And I'm like, no, I'm trying to keep you away from a tummy ache, visits to the dentist, right? Mom and dad going crazy because you hyper because all that sugar at nine o'clock at night, right? So the, there is a right in that situation and it isn't his idea. But we're, we have come to a place in our society where we are no longer open to anybody else's idea. I got it figured out. That's called moral relativism, okay? The next one is a word called hedonism. Not heathenism, although they kind of go hand in hand, but hedonism, H-E-D-O-N-I-S-M. Hedonism is this ancient philosophy. I mean, this has been around since like Socrates, Plato, Aristotle. Hedonism is the notion that the highest good in life is seeking as much pleasure as possible and avoiding as much pain as possible. So to be hedonistic simply means I don't like pain and I really love pleasure. The bottom line is part of us are kind of like, well, isn't that kind of part of the human condition? I mean, who likes pain except for Marines? All right, I know we got some here in the house, okay? In fact, I think we have a Marine out there cooking on the barbecue grill right now. And I said, what do you think about this rain? He says, what rain? <laughs> I was like, perfect. But hedonism is this idea that, you know, when you're trying to make a decision, 
the best way to make a decision on what's, what's going to give me the most pleasure and help me to avoid as much pain. Right? And you could see how it's natural for us to fall into that rhythm because none of us like pain and all of us like pleasure. Even though we recognize that pleasure needs to be disciplined and sometimes pain needs to be endured. Right? I mean, it, I, I asked you to raise your hand if you're parents and you have kids that are school age and we had almost the, like more than half of the sanctuary raise their hands. Every single one of you who are parents or grandparents or you've helped out raise somebody in one way or another has intentionally experienced pain because you're trying to do the best that you can to make sure that your kid doesn't. So you have stayed up later than you should, right? You've, uh, you, you physically have fallen on purpose to hurt yourself so that your kid doesn't get hurt, right? There are moments where we choose pain over pleasure because that's what's right, because always choosing pleasure and avoiding pain isn't ultimately God's call in our life. But our culture says life's too short, YOLO. So therefore, pain, see you later, pleasure, all day, every day. That's where addictions come from, right? Because all of a sudden we think, oh, that felt good. Let me do more of that. Oh, okay, that felt good too. Let me do more of that. All of a sudden we get to a point where we're so addicted to dopamine and serotonin and all these chemicals that come from feeding our pleasure sensors that in that moment we become so distant from who God called us to be that numbness occurs and now we can no longer experience that same level of pleasure that we used to initially because we've gotten to the point where we have become slaves to that addiction. So I, I talked about moral relativism and the end goal of that or the ultimate form of that is I'm my own king. We've talked about hedonism and the end goal of that is numbness and addiction. And I'll throw a third one in there. And it's a philosophy called nihilism. N-I-H-I-L-I-S-M, nihilism. What does nihilism mean? Nihilism means everything's gonna end anyway so don't care about anything too much. So if you're nihilistic, that means you're just kind of like, ah, whatever, who cares? Doesn't really matter, to be honest, right? So that, that often leads to depression, or, or maybe it, it comes from depression, right? And it's this idea that nothing really matters that much. So if we squish all of these things together to form one kind of mega worldview that is dominating our culture today, okay, I'll, I'll smash them all together for us because we have to be aware of that, right? I'm kind of painting Goliath for us for a second. And then we'll get back to the stones. So if I, if I look at moral relativism, hedonism, and nihilism, essentially what we're saying is, I'm gonna do whatever I want to do because nobody else can tell me what's right or wrong, because when I do that, I will experience as much happiness as I possibly can and avoid pain, right? Because at the end of the day, there are no consequences uh, because of the fact that nothing really matters anyway. So if that's a, the kind of worldview where we clump all these different things together, that does not sound very much like what Jesus told his disciples when he says, if anyone wants to come after me, they must deny themselves, pick up their cross, and follow me every single day. All right, as we look at the, 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 the kind of moment that we're currently living in, what Jesus calls us to is a countercultural life. 
What he says is, hey, if you want to find your life, lose it. And if you want to lose your life, go and try to find it. But ultimately, pick up your cross and follow me daily. So how does that come back to Romans chapter 12, verse 1? He says, offer yourselves as a living what? Sacrifice. That means, Lord, this is what I want to do. However, what is it that you want me to do? Because I'm going to opt for that even if I don't feel like it. Oh, God, you want me to get up a little earlier so that I could get into your word, so that your word will be planted deep into my heart so I could live for you throughout the course of my day? You know what? I wanted to sleep in that extra 45 minutes, but I know that I want to follow your way. Therefore, I'm setting my alarm twice to get up on time to do something I don't really want to do, but I will do because you've called me to it. Right? Well, what does this mean? This, this, this means as we think about our lives and our choices and our decisions, our, our flesh might be drawing us into certain pathways, but we constantly say, you know what? I'm not a slave to my flesh, but I am called as a child of the living God, and therefore I'm not going to obey the desires of the flesh. Instead, I'm going to surrender myself to God and say, here I am, Lord. Use me for your works. But in order to be consistently a living sacrifice, I've heard somebody say the problem with a living sacrifice is that sometimes it wants to walk off of the altar. Right? And so if we are going to be at a place where we are truly open to the work of God and to live uh, consistently and present ourselves as a living sacrifice, it requires discipline. Somebody say discipline. Right? Discipline is, is something that, man, we, even in the faith setting, we want instantaneous miracle, blessing, and transformation. Heavenly Father, here I am. I have sin in my life. Um, but I want to give my life to you. And then somebody comes and lays hands on us and they pray. And we have a moment where we experience God. And immediately we want to walk out of that door with all the problems that we had that were created because of our lifestyle of sin and disobedience and distance from God. And we want them to be gone in one second with all the consequences and all the money that we owe people because of our bad habits, all forgiven at the same time. Right? And the reason why we want that is because it's hard to put in the work day in and day out to simply say, Lord, I want to become like you more and more every single day. And then, and then Jesus says back to us, are you willing to pay the cost? And then our response back to him is, I'll get back to you on that. At the very least, I'll show up to church on Sunday. And then Jesus says, okay, are you ready now for real discipleship, for your life to actually look like the life that I've called you to live? And then our response back is, you know what? I'm like 10% ready, right? As opposed to simply, you know, what Paul calls the church to, he doesn't say, hey, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to present yourself as a living sacrifice one day out of the week, or he didn't, Paul doesn't say, I, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present yourself as a living, sa uh, sacrifice your arm, at least. At least give something up. You can keep the rest of your body, but at least give something up. No, no, no. Paul says, hey, your whole self, 
God is saying, give me yourself, give me your heart, give me your mind, give me your your passions, give me your dreams, give me your pain, give me your hopes, give me your talent, give me your time, give me your attention, give me your focus, give give, give me your future, give me your present, give me your family. Right, what God is saying here is I'm not calling anybody to come and to kind of like go, go through the motions. He uses a very drastic, he says, passionately, I urge you to, 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 to lay down your old self, to die to yourself, to pick up your cross and to follow me. Oh man, I wish that we had the openness to actually say, yes, Lord, I'm ready for that. More often than not, we in the church in America aren't ready to lay ourselves down as a living sacrifice for the Lord. Instead, we just want our lives to be a little bit better if we sprinkle a little Jesus dust on it. Oh man, maybe if I start going to church, then uh, you know that thing I've been hoping for will come true. Oh, maybe if maybe if I you know start doing this more consistently, God will give me a good uh, husband or a good wife. Or or maybe if I start doing this, then all of a sudden, you know, my bank account will start looking a little bit better. Or whatever it may. Man, oftentimes we come before the Lord because we're like, what am I going to get out of it? Paul is saying, here's what you can get out of it. Bring yourself and lay it on the altar. But what's in it for me? Why should I do that? He explains it here, actually. He says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your, I know a lot of different versions of the Bible say this one differently, spiritual act of worship is what it says in the NIV. Others say like reasonable service. Um, I'll do my best to translate um, what it says here. It's kind of like, this is your duty. Right? You're not even like doing God a favor if you offer yourself as a living sacrifice. It's actually how God created us was to be his vessels, right? Was to reflect his goodness. Um, he created us, right, to be those who kind of uh, spread his love and his image, Right? Um, so I'm by no means a perfect parent, man, I'm learning every day and make some mistakes and try to fix them and all these kinds of things. But man, it is so encouraging when I look at my kids and they do something without us telling them and they do something that reflects how we've been raising them, right? And they do it on their own and it's encouraging as a father, right? Cause I'm like, all right, sweet. Cause I, I, I don't, I try not to get too like sentimental on this point right here but like you know and some of you are already there and some of you are closer than I am but I think of my son Joseph and I'm like dang some of this is financial to be honest but I'm like six years from now that dude's gonna have his driver's license (laughs) so I'm like wow and then eight years from now he's gonna be going off to college right and as I as I begin to think of that like there's part of me that's just kind of like praying And listening to the Lord, God, how do you want me to prepare him for those moments? Right? Where I'm not going to be there every second of his day to correct him or 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 to tell him to do something or or to tell him that he did it wrong or whatever. Like I'm I'm gonna have to trust that the Holy Spirit is in his life. Teaching him how to pick a good girlfriend one day, right? 
teaching him how to know which house to go to and which one not to go to, right? Um, all of these different things. And so that's why as we kind of reflect on, on this, what Paul is essentially saying, he says, I, I urge you to present yourselves as a living sacrifice. And by the way, this is what you're supposed to do. That's my best way of paraphrasing or translating the um, latreia logikain. You hear the word logi, which is like logic. So that's where some of the versions get the word reasonable or logical. Essentially what he's saying is, if you present yourself as a living sacrifice, that makes the most sense in terms of how God created you to live. Right? So he says, do that, right? Present yourself. This is, this is your duty. This is reasonable. This is the way in which we've been designed to live. Okay? And then he goes on to say in verse 2, and then we'll close. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Somebody say, do not conform. So here's the word for do not conform. Um, it's a long word, and it's suskematisiste. Suskema, you don't have to pronounce it with me unless you really want to. Suskematismethe. Essentially, so here's the word that you might hear in there. Okay, sus is just like the prefix for with. Um, it's the Greek prefix for with, so cut that part out. And then schema is the next part of the word. In other words, what Paul's saying here is don't fall trap to the schemes of this world. And we started talking about what some of those schemes are. Right? And they're out there. Okay? And we want to be cognizant of what some of those schemes are. Let me give you a couple of practical examples as to how we need to be mindful of these schemes, okay? A recent study was, has gone out from the Barna group. Uh, Barna is like a research group that studies culture with a specific lens toward faith. And they looked, at, uh, they looked at thousands of people between the age of 15 and 22. And uh, based on the survey, they asked them information about their daily habits. And what they found was over the course of a year, uh, on average, 15 to 20-year-olds spend 2,767 hours on their phones. Somebody say, wow. 2,767 to be compared to 150 hours on spiritual content. Talk about a David and Goliath moment. 2,767 versus 150. And we wonder why our generation doesn't know how yet to follow Jesus. It's because we have recruited their screen to be their Sunday school teacher, their youth pastor, their mom, their dad, their grandma, their grandpa, their teacher, their coach, their guide, their God. Right? What am I saying? YouTube is evil? Sometimes. All the time? Nah. But if we just let them hang out with that all day long, all day, every day, and we're wondering where they get ideas from and why all of a sudden they want to make this decision and that decision, well, guess what? The evidence is right there. If we wonder why we get in the argument about why you're trying to wear that and you shouldn't wear that, well, what is it that we're allowing them to see that's telling them this is what beauty looks like? Our young boys 
who aren't sure what to do with their lives and they're 18 years old and have no clue about what they wanna do as they get older, right? And, and, we're, and we're curious why and, and we take a look at the, the minutes and the hours of the, the TikToks and the YouTubes and all it says is, hey, uh, the, the most things that are important is to just have as much fun as you want, play as much video games as you want and if you wanna do something serious, then go ahead and like uh, take this supplement and get buff because your body matters but nothing really else else really matters. And then we wonder why our young men are having a hard time becoming men. Because a screen can't make a, man, a young man a man. So, so I share all of this simply to say we could spend all kinds of time complaining about what everybody else is doing. But what is it that we're doing to prepare this generation to live for Jesus? And I know this is hard. It ain't easy. Shoot, we're tired. We're busy, right? Some of you are working two jobs, three jobs, just to pay the rent. And you're like, Pastor Kobe, this all sounds great if I had more time and energy. I do all those different things. And what I would say is, man, I wish I had that time and energy too. And I don't, so I got to make hard decisions. Right? First and foremost, the first decision that I'm making is, is, is uh, Joshua chapter 24. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. So he says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Somebody say transformed. transformed. Be changed. Right, by the renewing of your mind. Okay, be changed by the renewing of your mind. Okay, and it says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. I want to close on this note. What Paul is saying here is this. If we're going to be a living sacrifice and be surrendered to the Lord and become a vessel for God's use, then we need to understand what God's will is. And it's almost impossible to understand what God's will is when our minds and our hearts are cluttered with all kinds of other wills. With Instagram's will, with Facebook's will, with TikTok's will, with my, with my, my friends at school, their will, with all these companies. Okay, sorry. One more quick rabbit trail, then I'll bring it back. This is a Pentecostal church. If you don't like somebody not knowing when to close, then, you know, hey. <laughs> so they did a research, Harvard did a research, uh, and it's, it actually turned into a lawsuit against Facebook because they found that the designers of Facebook and Instagram uh, actually knew that the algorithms they were using to provide certain content to their users was contributing to uh, increased anxiety and depression. And so when they knew that, they decided to go deeper and to not just continue, but to speed up the algorithm without saying, you know what, this is a problem. This is an epidemic, a mental health epidemic. This is putting people at risk. Instead, they said, what's going to make us more money? Ramp this thing up. Put some more juice into that algorithm. Keep it going because we don't care. In fact, the more anxiety and depression people feel, it draws them to be on their phone even more. 
And they admitted that they knew that. And so that's why the lawsuit has taken place. All right, they couldn't, they couldn't um, claim that they were unaware. It was intentional. And I share all that simply to say, do not be conformed to the pattern of this age. So we gotta ask, I mean, when we're doing Bible study, you gotta ask yourself this question. What does conformity look like? What is this age all about? How is it that I am preparing myself and others to not conform, but instead to be transformed? What does renewing of my mind look like? How does that happen? What disciplines do I need to put in place so that my mind can be renewed? What does my mind need to be renewed from? Because if we don't understand all those different things, that's called clutter. And if there's clutter, guess what we can't hear? God's will. Even if we want to. So the invitation, as we get ready for the year ahead, as we think about what it means to, to, to pursue being a living sacrifice and teaching our kids how to live sacrificially, holy and pleasing. <laughs> we are invited to push away conformity to the pattern of this world and instead to be transformed. Somebody say transformed. Transformed. 